Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Sports are starting to come back, and Podcast One Sportsnet has got all the action covered. With tons of different sports podcasts, there is something for everyone. Check out The Rich Eisen Show for your daily coverage, The Steve Austin Show for your favorite stories from Steve Austin's amazing career, The Deegans with Metal Militia star Brian Deegan and his extreme sports loving family, plus many more. As sports return, be sure to tune in to all the great podcasts with Podcast One Sportsnet so you don't miss any action. It is July 30th is probably when you're listening to this. This is the PFF Forecast. Really fun episode. We've got Brett Coleman of the Film Room on. He is a solo film enthusiast. Uh, if you haven't checked out his stuff, it's, it's really fun. He used to work at NFL Network, has a bunch of experience. Um, and we had a really good conversation. Uh, so uh, let's rock. Opt-outs. I just need to know: Are you are you opting out this season, no. or are you sticking around? No. Here's and, and I want to bring this up because one of our friends said this. I think it's the most absurd thing ever: the idea that people in sports don't want to have sports happen. Like yes. I, there probably are a few of these people. I grant all of you that, but like, does that not tilt you? It makes me yeah. It makes me very annoyed. Um, and the worst is when. The worst is when people decide that there's like this this alternative reason that people have ahead of oh it's my job and I need to get paid. That that like blows my mind. It's like or, no, no. or like people have an alternative. Like you only want you you only want coronavirus to be you know you only want to point out that coronavirus is dangerous because you hate the president or something. Right. And it's right. like no, actually, I just don't want you guys to die. Yes. Like. Uh, and I and I really and here selfishly, I'd really like for the virus to be controlled so we can have an NFL season and you and I can have jobs, you know, for the fall. I mean, it's uh, it's absurd. It the there is a middle ground of communicating truth and being optimistic. It's possible to do that, but the truth sometimes is not rosy. And like, if you don't take things seriously, that's how you end up getting screwed. Yeah. Anyways. Um, some of the things that have happened recently, we'll get to Brett here in just a second. Some of these opt-outs, um, also a non-opt-out, but like maybe an opt-out. Vic Beasley apparently, yeah, um, hopefully he's okay, has not been found. Um, so, yeah, I guess. Uh, any of these opt-outs actually um, worry you at all? Uh, here's some low-key ones. I think Devin Funches matters. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. the Packers don't have another NFL caliber receiver aside from Devontae Adams yet, right? And obviously Hightower is a big one, but Belichick's not going to let his defense get hit the skids because of a linebacker, right? So that one's a big name, but not that big of a deal. Um, we'll see. I mean, obviously, there was a rumor about Foles. It sounds like Foles is going to play. So, um, But, uh, you know, we still have a, a handful of days before this is all said and done. And I do think it's I do think it's good that there are players that are taking this seriously. I do think that's good. Um, I I I think all the players that decide to play uh, deserve our appreciation. 
Mm -hmm. and because they're sacrificing something and then all the players who decide not to play deserve our appreciation because they're sacrificing something so um it, it, it you know it's going to be an interesting few days uh that's certainly true and anyone that uh wants to get angry at somebody that's decided to opt out should go kick rocks where the sun does not shine but um let's uh i mean so i want to say that some of these matter a little bit um I certainly think that having Yadni Kajust protecting Cam Newton is less than ideal for the, the New England Patriots. Um, but ultimately, these are things that are – this is going to be a season of great attrition where a lot of players are going to you know miss time. And yeah. so I wouldn't make too big of a deal over guys opting out um, right now, unless, of course, it's your quarterback, but I don't foresee that happening now that, that – Big Dick Nick is um, going to be competing with Mitch Trubisky. Thank God. Um, and and so I, I think we're making kind of mountains out of molehills with respect to how it plays out on the field. I, uh, I have an interesting because you you've done such a you know we I, collectively but you specifically have done such a great job of booking guests. The next time that we don't have a guest, what we should do is take prop bets on the the, the state of the NFL. One of them that I'm thinking of is. What is the average time to throw this year? I like it. Like let's let's take a let's do a list of those things and and obviously uh, you know maybe we'll have a we'll 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 alternate steak dinner bets on it. I'm here for that. You know I'm here for that. All right, Brett Coleman, here he is. All right, we have joining us. This is a long time coming. Uh, Brett Coleman, the film room. Uh, you can find him on Twitter or. Uh, brettcoleman.squarespace.com bunch of really great YouTube content uh, breaking stuff down as you would expect with film but also with a lot of numbers and uh, we have been recommended that we are like you got to get Brett on the show you got to get Brett on the show I've had close friends reach out to me about it so we finally made it happen you're joining us from California I'm trying to get into California mindset how is it out there? Uh, it is hot right now I mean and and you know we're not even in the hardest part of the year like september october is really where it starts to heat up but we've we've already had some some pretty hot days out here no you don't you don't know it it's not it's not hot there it's perfect right now hot is 99 with like 87 to 95% humidity which is what eric oh, and i are dealing with so oh man it, it's, yeah at least it's a dry heat out here <laughs> Man, someday, someday, Eric, we'll have the uh, we'll have the boat there. Um, I, I wanted to start off with this because I, mostly for my own curiosity is just to tell us your background and how you got to where you're at right now um, with doing all the cool YouTube content that you do and kind of being a um, a, a lone uh, lone ranger is the wrong term, but like standing on your own as someone that people come to to look for. Uh, NFL film analysis. Yeah, so I was at um, NFL Network for five years on the production side uh, over in Culver City, California, and I actually started making videos uh, that weren't even like super well done. Like looking back on them now, I'm like, oh man, this is really bad. Uh, but I was kind of making like uh, proof of concept videos for my producers because I was like, look, could we just do something like this but have MJD voice it or have Willie McGinnis voice it or, or something like that. Uh, I never really had any intention of being uh, like on camera or doing the vo voiceovers or anything like that. I just wanted to produce segments. And they started to get popular with uh, for some reason. And uh, people started following the channel. And I would only put out an episode like once every few months. But people really liked them. And it got to a point where... Uh, my wife was like, um, you're not even really trying here and it's gaining steam. Like what happens if you actually like, uh, you know, went off on your own and tried and did this full time. And uh, I, I credit her every day for kind of encouraging me to do that because I, I loved working at NFL Network. It's great. Um, I loved my time there for five years, but uh, I you know, I, I didn't have kids yet. I didn't have a mortgage yet. I was like, if there's ever a time that I could flop, it would be right now. So I, I went out and tried it, and it worked somehow. And three years later, here we are. Well, also, you got rid of the commute. Uh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, six hours a day uh, on my worst days was uh, not super efficient for getting film study done. I'll just say that. 
Yeah, that's really. I mean, that's that's awesome, and and sort of shows you know, you know, football. It, it's so interesting, right, George? We we think about the you know our all of our paths to working in football are so unique, right? And so, um, you know, almost never like the 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 path that any of us would envision, and yours is certainly. Uh, one as well, where you know you have an existing platform, and that existing platform isn't even ready for you know your skill set yet, and you go and build your own. Yeah, that, that's a a pretty cool uh, you know testament. Um, here, here's a question I have, which I, I'm sort of just thinking about. Um, you know, obviously we come at it from the analytics perspective, uh, and you come at it from watching film, but you you are able to sort of combine the two. Um, what what's the next thing we're going to learn learn about football? Uh, you know, when it comes to you know the those of us that are sort of like uh, you know dripped in it every single day. What's like what's the what's something that you're you sort of have you know uh, in your mind that you know not the the average football fan is just is just not aware of yet. I think uh, you know I was actually listening to I think it was on like Sirius XM. NFL radio because I think PFF has a show on that channel uh-huh. and this was like two years ago and for the life of me I can't remember who was doing that show but they did a whole segment on how secondaries are more important than defensive lines when it <laughs> comes to affecting the pass game that's our fault I think yeah but it, it, it really got me thinking because for the longest time everybody think okay you build with the trenches um, and you always want to get pressure more than you want to have coverage and they were going through all these data sets that showed that really it was lockdown coverage that had more of an impact on pressure than just pure front seven talent having an impact on coverage efficiency. And I think we really started to see that bear out uh, with the Patriots defense last year where it was lockdown coverage. They're playing man, I think it was 54% of the time, which is more than anybody else. And their front seven really had no true stars but they were still able to generate pressure with creative blitzes and kind of really a, a well-coached front seven um, and just a whole bunch of pocket collapsers in addition to tight coverage that was really having just a nightmarish effect on quarterbacks. And every time I watched the Patriots defense, I thought back to that segment. And I was like, damn, they nailed it. And I think there's still a prevailing thought uh, among football fans that defensive lines, if you don't have four pass rushers, you're never going to affect the pass game you know, damn the secondary. But I think watching the success of the Patriots and watching the success that I think the Dolphins are going to have making the same approach, we're going to start to see that narrative flip of getting three really good man corners and at least one safety that can take away tight ends. That's going to be more important than having a 15, 16, 17 sack a year kind of edge rusher. What it's fascinating that you say that because I was just, um, not to brag here. I was having a conversation with Richard Sherman. Eric's heard me say this, by the way, like 15 times since I have, and I'm going to keep saying it, it's okay. Um, and I was surprised to hear him. I asked him kind of the, these same questions. I didn't like straight out say, you know, what's more important. But we talked about the coverage pass rush relationship, and he was very much more supportive of the importance of a pass rush, I think, than, than maybe I would have expected. Um, but And I wonder if the reason for that, and I'm curious your thought on this, but I wonder if the reason for that is that you can have one great pass rusher and you can feel like you have a successful pass rush. And Eric, you've written about this. You can't just have one good corner and feel like you have a good coverage unit. And so it's almost like the ease of creating a good pass rush versus the ease of creating a good coverage unit is what makes you feel like you have to have a good, you know, that pass rush is more important because uh, it's just so hard to really actually pin down what makes your coverage unit so good. And, you know, you can scheme pressure fairly efficiently. Like if you have a really well-coached defensive line that knows how to execute a gate stunt really well, if they can execute ETs really well um, and really kind of attack the angles of pass protection, regardless of the talent of the offensive line, like angles are angles, space is space. Like you could scheme pressure that way. Um, you know, we've even seen, you know, some guys like the, the giants back against the Patriots using a freaking coffee house, uh, coffee house technique Mm -hmm. really effectively. Like you, you can do that against really good offenses, but if you're rolling out with one corner and then you got two scrubs, 
if you're getting the ball out in two and a half seconds, it doesn't matter if you're able to scheme that pressure as well if the ball's out because your corners are so bad and they can't cover for two and a half seconds. So I I agree. Like It's a lot easier to get pressure with five or six guys with maybe none of them being A-tier talents compared it is to uh, getting really good coverage with only one great corner. Like 100% agreed on that. The the hard part is that is is that you know there's a couple of reasons why I think our intuition on this was wrong. I mean, one of them is the broadcast angle, right? Almost every football fan when they watched the Giants play the Patriots in 2007 saw Tuck, Umanura, and Strahan, right? And, and that was mm-hmm. sort of the we saw that and it happened. And and for the longest time, teams thought. I mean, we we always we make fun of Norv Turner and the way that he runs his offense, but like. 20 years ago that's how everybody thought they had to run an offense you know you have to be able to drop back seven steps on third down you have to be able to uh you know protect for a certain amount of time and you know you bring up the patriots insofar as their defense but on offense they flip that over right you look at the 2018 afc championship game and the chiefs have a great pass rush with d ford justin houston and chris jones and they said well but they can't cover anybody so we're just going to throw the ball in two seconds and, and make them beat us, you know, make them win in two and a half seconds or less. And none of us see that or really understand it quite as well as we do the what happens up front. But it is really important because an offense, you know, doesn't have to play by those rules anymore. They can choose, you know, to take advantage of a secondary. And it's a lot easier, in my opinion, to choose to take advantage of one of the five weak links in the secondary than it is to just, you know, chip block, a, you know, a really good defensive end. Or even, you know, going back to the same Patriots team in 2011 when they still had Gronk and Hernandez and their top two wide receivers were both slot receivers. Because um, I think, yeah, Wes was still yeah. there at the time. Uh, Jules was young. Danny Amendola was there. So they had a very unconventional receiving core. But because their two tight ends were honestly their best receiving weapons, they were able to take advantage of that market inefficiency around the league at linebacker and still get yeah. the ball out really quick. And they rode that all the way to a Super Bowl and ironically lost again to the Giants. But still, that was one of the, at the time, that was one of the greatest passing offenses ever, despite not really having a true uh, great X receiver like we had seen for decades previous. Let's yeah, talk. you're absolutely you're absolutely right. And, and the, 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 the idea is that back in the day, they thought they had to play three linebackers, first and second down and two on well, third the down. Well, still think that. And now, and now it's, it's, you know, teams know that they don't have to, right? And, and it sort of changes the calculus a little bit. Or, you know, you don't have to cover a tight end with a safety or a linebacker. You can use a Chris Harris if you want to or something. And, it, and again, it's the chess match that's so interesting. Let's talk about the Patriots that are currently Patriots. Because um, you did a really cool video on this, Brett, that I was checking out um, on Cam. And spe- we mentioned Norv Turner and how his offense – when he was the offensive coordinator with the Panthers was really so different than what Cam had done in the past. And I, it was interesting to me because I had always thought, you know, of Norv Turner in a different light. But he leveraged Cam a lot in the quick passing game. And we had a conversation, Eric and I did, um, just the other day about, you know, like the turnaround of Matt Stafford and how like he, it was, you know, launching the ball downfield, taking shots downfield. Do you think that the Patriots will do any of that, or are they really going to leverage, they're just going to go all in on this timing passing game? If I was them, I would go all in on the timing because when you look at those first nine weeks of 2018 when Cam was still healthy, uh, and I laid out these stats in the video too, but I'll lay it out here for people that haven't seen it. So again, in the first nine weeks before Cam's shoulder was ruined and then he really couldn't play after that, So they averaged 3.6 red zone trips per game. That was top 10. 72.4% red zone TD efficiency. That was fifth. Average time of possession was over 30 minutes. was at 30-34. That's top 10. Their third down conversion percentage was 15th. So that was the only thing that was about average for them. But they ran the ball 45% of the time, which was Hmm. top five, I believe. They had a uh, team completion percentage in terms of... uh, like average completion percentage of 67.4, which was the highest that Cam had ever had. That was top eight in the league. They had plus one per game in turnover margin. That was top four. So even though their YPA was only 6.9, which was below average at the time, they were 
ultra-efficient in terms of getting to the red zone, scoring in the red zone, holding onto the ball, converting on third downs, you know, not uh, turning the ball over and costing themselves possessions. And they played a very Patriot style of don't make mistakes, you know, make the plays when they count, score when you need to. And they started out like 6-2 and two that year. And they were on track to be uh, not just a playoff team, but probably have a playoff bye because they were playing that ultra-efficient style. And to me, that just screams Patriots in terms of getting the ball out quick, be efficient, be accurate. You know, Cam, other than 2012 and 2015, has never been a highly accurate deep ball thrower, statistically speaking. And so I think if you really just stick to what he's good at, and have him be a quick uh, a quick game quarterback in addition to providing some value in the run game, you know, giving you plus one um, uh, plus one in numbers down in the red zone when you're really trying to punch it in. Like that kind of stuff screams Patriots, and I think it's going to work for those reasons. Do you, you bring up red zone, which is so interesting because I think most of us and our, our colleague Timo Risky is writing, you know, he's going to uh, produce a, a, an article about the red zone this week. Usually, both of us would say that's a lot of noise. Um, but I do think Cam provides a different aspect, right? He's singular enough where the red zone is probably something where if if schemed right, he can be somebody who is consistently better than average, don't you think? Because as a runner, he's just somebody who's different than every, you know, as far as being able to to push a pile, to be to have the designed runs, he's a obviously Lamar is is very good in that in that sense as well. And there are other quarterbacks, you know, like Kyler Murray. But you know, Cam is a singular player in the, in that regard. And I think just being able to you know be a designed runner and average you know four and a half, five and a half yards of carry uh, down in the red zone makes it easier on McCaffrey, makes it easier on you know uh, you know uh, harder on opposing linebackers. And, and the Patriots, I think, if any team is going to be able to leverage that as much as anybody else, uh, they're going to be the one. Especially near the goal line, right? I mean, that's a yeah. huge win. Really, anywhere inside the 20-yard line when the field gets compressed, you know, Lamar's a great runner, obviously. Kyler uh, is a great runner, obviously. But I think they're better as runners when there's a lot more field to work with. Whereas Cam, when he's in a phone booth, he's so big and strong that even if you're making contact, he can still fight through it. And, you know, even when you're looking like really tight in the red zone, if you're inside 10 yards where there's not a lot of space and even on play action, like it's a little bit easier to recover and get back to your landmarks. And so the windows are tighter. And if you don't have a great, you know, go up and get it type receiver that can go win on fades when they do give you those one-on-one looks, like you, you have to find a way to create an advantage in tight spaces. And having a quarterback that can run and make a linebacker hesitate just to give Sony Michelle that little bit of extra crease that you need, or you know, make a safety hesitate, uh, and then you can kind of go up and throw a pop pass. Like we're gonna see some tricky stuff in New England, leveraging the threat of Cam. Even if they're not giving him the ball that much because they want to preserve his body, just the threat of Cam can create space and angles. And in that kind of tight area of the field, that's really all you need. I was thinking about you mentioned the accuracy stuff, and that's kind of my big question, right? Is you know you had you go from Tom Brady, who was so accurate, and they struggled last year despite how accurate he was because it doesn't matter if you're throwing into tight coverage, you can be really accurate. Your numbers are just going to go down. So is it less about accuracy and more really about the system and leveraging Cam's ability to run the ball to create more openings where it doesn't matter if you throw a catchable but inaccurate pass if the guy has a step of separation, whereas even if you throw a pretty accurate pass that's on a receiver's frame in tight coverage – you're going to have a low completion percentage. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, there's accuracy and there's ball placement. Because, you know, there's throwing it within an area's, uh, within a receiver's neighborhood that's really important. But I think when it comes to this kind of system, again, where the windows are really tight, you can't just hit the neighborhood. you got to hit the right house. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a problem that I felt Daniel Jones had, where it, even if you're throwing it, quote-unquote, on target – if you're throwing it to the wrong shoulder or you're throwing it, you know, maybe a step too late where a DB can get his arm in there, like it doesn't matter if it's technically catchable. You're not making your receiver's job any easier. 
And I feel like that actually is a strength of Cam in the quick game specifically. Definitely not as a deep ball thrower, but in the quick game specifically, he's excellent at reading defenses defenses, and knowing where his leverage advantages are. Uh, and if you know where a leverage advantage is and you can get it out on time and place it properly with that leverage, then it makes your receiver's job easier and you can be a lot more efficient on offense. That's why in 2015 they went to the Super Bowl with a whole bunch of trash cans <laughs> for receivers and an older Greg hey, Olsen. Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn oh, would beg the difference. Ted Ginn's wide open all the time. He just doesn't catch it. <laughs> he, he was but, amazing throwing the ball deep because Ginn was open all the time. But he, he made his receiver's jobs easier because mm-hmm. he knows how to throw with leverage. He knows the matchups he needs to hit. And that is a crucial, crucial skill set in terms of improving accuracy. Assume, uh, assume Cam stays relatively healthy. You know, plays you know, say thirteen plus games. Um, what's your prediction for the Patriots this year? In a normal season, uh, I would say they challenge for the division. I think it would be neck and neck with Buffalo. But the fact that they're having so many guys opt out, and the fact that people are going to get sick, it's mm. statistically unlikely that nobody's going to get sick. And so now it really just depends on who gets sick. You know, yeah. is it like, let's say Bill, Bill Belichick, <laughs> but, but if God forbid Bill Belichick gets sick and, he, no, and he's a, out yeah. for two or three weeks, like that's, that's a major factor. What if McDaniels gets sick? What if Cam gets sick? Yeah. You know, it's, it, this season is impossible to predict and God help you if you're trying to play Super Bowl bets now, <laughs> because it is impossible to predict because it's it's not just you know the the quote unquote injury issues that we can chalk up to any given team and you know maybe you know that's Russian roulette, but this statistically it is unlikely that players are not going to get sick and that coaches are not going to get sick and it, it really just comes down to who gets sick and when, um, and I it's it's impossible to know. Do you think do you think Belichick? I mean I I, I want you know, 99.9% of me thinks that this you know all the opt outs are mostly I don't think the Patriots are going to have any more opt outs than everybody else once it's all said and done on August 3rd um, but the Patriots are sort of getting a decent number of them out of the way because Belichick is just somebody who plans things and I think there's enough of there's enough players on Belichick's roster for whom the drop off between them and a practice squad guy is minimal at this point and that's probably how he's going to devise his schemes, right? On, on defense specifically, they lost a ton of talent in the front seven. Um, you know, they didn't have that much to begin with, but they lost the talent that they had in the front seven. Um, in the secondary, they're still probably okay. And, and that that's really, I think, where it crumbles if any guys get sick. And then on offense, you know, their issue a season ago is their receivers couldn't get separation. That's really not going to change. Like, that's a r- restraint that they're going to have to deal with. Uh, regardless of who's out there. So maybe, maybe you know, Belichick's sort of looking at the season saying, look, we, we have to thread a really, you know, really thin needle. And, you know, there, there's only a couple of really key variables, and it's our secondary and it's camp. Yeah, and I would, I would say I agree with you. Their secondary's fine. Um, not ha- like, I think they're pretty much impl- replacing the entire second level of their defense this year. Since Van Noy's gone, Donta's opting out. Uh, Chung, I consider him a second-level defender when you uh-huh. just consider how he's used. Um, and I think Alandon Roberts isn't with them this year either, right? If I remember uh-huh. correctly. So like that's there's there's pieces they have to replace there. And I, I think you're right in terms of the talent gap between who's going to be out there versus who was out there last year is not super big, but the communication issue is definitely going to be a factor. And I think it's going to take a while for Bill to get them into a spot where they're communicating properly because there's a lot of checks in this defense. And I mean a lot of checks. And having a new guy wearing the green dot out there is going to be a major factor. And I think we're really not going to see what this Patriots defense is like until probably about mid-October um, because, again, there's no preseason either. And so I think it's it's going to be five or six weeks before we really see uh, this Patriots defense with all these new guys come together, secondary notwithstanding, and the offense too. I think it's going to be mid-October before we really start to see Cam get comfortable. Um, and if I was them, I would throw Cam out there week one because at this point, really the only way he's, he's going to get comfortable is getting play time. Like I don't really want to waste time with Jared Stidham here. But it, it might be a rough first five or six weeks for New England. Um not not that they're a great September team to begin with, but uh, we're, we're not really going to see what they really are as a team until close to halfway through the year. 
no, it had no that 2017 way. feel to its defense where they were atrocious for the first four or five weeks. Then their schedule eases up, and then they end up making it at least to the Super Bowl. But you're right. It's not going to be that simple. I mean, they have home games. Um, am I looking at this right there? They start out with three straight home games. Well, That's it might fun. just – yeah, in any event, they, they have some pretty tough teams on their schedule starting out with, you know, like I believe Seattle – um, and Kansas City and the Niners right away, but um, I could be I could be mistaken here. But anyway, yeah, it, it, I do agree with you that getting off to a slow start is probably going to be characteristic of their season. Let's talk young quarterbacks. You mentioned Daniel Jones. Um, let's let's just start with him. Um, super polarizing guy. I have a comp prepared for my friend Eric here, but I want to hear your thoughts on Daniel Jones first. So. He- he is um, trying not to offend Giants fans. No, you can't. That's not possible. It's like talking about the Bears. <laughs> I mean, I it's there's some good aspects to his game, but those good aspects, I think, contribute to the bad aspects where he's not scared of pressure, but part of the reason why he's not scared of pressure is because he doesn't feel pressure at all. Sam it's it, oh, that's actually not a bad. That's mm. not bad at all. <laughs> um, I would say that Sam though was a lot better at deep ball placement, and like I mentioned earlier, with leverage, like his on-target accuracy on deep balls was pretty high. It was like top eight in the league. Bradford but, had amazing arm talent right? in terms of accuracy. Yeah, yeah, just uh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, not in terms of strength, but accuracy. I hundred percent agree. Um, but you know, Jones's deep ball on target percentage was top eight in the league, but his actual completion percentage was 28. It was down at like 25%, which is atrocious. And so I looked at those numbers and I was like, what the hell happened there? So I looked at every single deep attempt he took and the, his ability to throw with leverage is not there. His ability to see a corner stacking and throw it back shoulder instead of leading him into contact deeper upfield, like that was infuriating. Mm-hmm. And so I think the deep ball placement is part of the reason why his completion percentage was so low, even though technically he was on target. Again, it's throwing to the right neighborhood versus throwing to the right house. Yep. That is a critical skill set that he does not have. In addition to the fact that he can't feel pressure, and he's also really bad at reading match zone defenses. Those gave him a lot of problems. We saw that against New England where... You know, he uh, he threw a deep, I think it was a deep out against uh, cover two where there was a mistake by Stephon Gilmore where he trailed instead of uh, sinking. And uh, they came back like three or four plays later and, and tried pretty much the exact same thing. And he just assumed that Gilmore wasn't going to be there. And he just didn't see him sinking under the route and got picked. You know, it, it's, it's that kind of stuff where it's like he's locking in on the first read and he doesn't see hang defenders in zone coverages. So when you throw that in with the deep ball placement issues, the lack of seeing pressure, like, I get it. He's a tough kid. He's athletic. His arm is okay. When he's under pressure, he keeps his eyes down the field. Like, there's stuff to like there. But But, there's also... I was going to say, let me give you, because I thought you described perfectly my my comp, which is, I think he's a poor-ish man's Jameis Winston. 100%. 100%. And I actually said in the episode, like, he's he's Jameis with some different qualities here and there. But, like, the core of it is doing something really exciting and then making absolutely horrific mistakes. Yeah. Eric he, loves Jameis Winston. I, I, like, I like Jameis Winston more than I like Marcus Mariota. Let's go with that. I thought you were going to say your own children. I, no. I, <laughs> my thing is, is... I and I was looking at Jones. I'm actually was surprised he the percentage of pressures that that resulted in sacks for him was not very high um, compared to the rest of the league. Um, you know, he's nowhere near Tannehill, Murray, Flat. You know, those guys. Yeah, but half of them are fumbles. Yeah, that's what I'm wanting. So in the in the pocket, his awareness is tricky because he fumbles the ball so much. Um, have have but, you, you looked know, at his time to sack average though? Because it's it's only three point one two seconds which is very, very low. It's right up there with Keenum and Goff and Matt Ryan and Brady and Rivers and all these statuesque quarterbacks, whereas all the mobile guys, and keep in mind, like Daniel Jones is a good athlete, but all the mobile guys that have his kind of athleticism are like over four seconds, which means he's not seeing the first wave of pressure. he's just not seeing the... 
he gets so, killed. Yeah, I mean, I like I like quarterbacks that that have that are efficient, even if they they have mistakes, because I feel like the 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 biggest issue is you know when you have a guy who's too afraid to make a mistake, you end up with an offense that is no fun to watch. And if a guy is going to be average or below average, I at least want the offense to be fun to watch, like Jameis's Tampa Bay offense was. Um, I mean, I thought, you're, I thought Sam Bradford was a very interesting one. You do a good job yeah, of I throwing mean, stuff off the wall. I mean, Bradford Bradford was the year that he played for the Vikings. His passer rating when pressured was like second in the league. But our, our friend Steve like sort of made the point that a lot of that's just because he's so oblivious to it that it like, <laughs> you know, he he's just like he throws a seed to Stephon Diggs on a post. He's not he doesn't know enough to be scared of the, the guy that's like barreling in on him. Yeah, you well, know, he, he got, speared, got speared in the chest so many times that eventually he just uh, saw ghosts. Speaking, so. speaking of an offense that was not fun to watch, the 16 Vikings was was, was something else. But yeah, I mean, I, I, what do you, you know as far as as far as prospects for this year, Brett? What do you think about you know the two a NFC East quarterbacks, Dwayne Haskins and and Jones? I mean, we've we've sort of gone back and forth on the two, uh, but I think the consensus opinion was that Haskins was pretty poor last year. I think Haskins was poor for most of the year. And then the last few weeks, I think we started to kind of see some glimpses of what I thought he was going to be coming out of Ohio State. I had a much higher grade on Haskins than I did on Daniel Jones. Much higher. I think we were in the same boat. Yeah, most people did, I I would assume. Um, I still had Kyler over both of them fairly comfortably, but I, I still, if we're going like overall year, Jones probably had overall a better year. If we're going just the last few games that we saw, like, okay, where where were you at by the end of your rookie year? I would say Haskins was better. I'm not saying he was great. He was not Kyler Murray. Like, Kyler Murray was amazing. Even Drew Locke, I felt, had some some good stuff that maybe put him above both of them. Even some Gardner Minshew. Yeah. yeah, 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 of course. But I, I still, I'm still more encouraged by Haskins based on what I saw last than what I saw overall from Daniel Jones. Plus, and, plus Haskins came into that Redskins. We have forgotten uh, the Redskins have been such a dumpster fire. We, I can't even call they it were that la- anymore. They were last good the, in 1991. The, so the yeah. Washington yeah. football dumpster fire <laughs> that was last year when Haskins came in, it was so awful. You know, and well, I, I can't imagine a guy coming in Having no clue what his, you know, whether his head coach wants him there or if his head coach even cares. And so I think it makes sense that eventually, towards the end of it, he kind of figured himself out. It'd be fascinating to watch this year because I agree. They didn't even want him playing. I mean, that was the the whole, Mm -hmm. they started Colt McCoy against New England when he was healthy. Vote of confidence. Yeah. And like, to me, like the Washington football team going into last year with Jay Gruden was one of the more perplexing things I've seen, right? Because you know, they, they sort of gave him a pass for, you know, lucking into winning, what, six of the first nine games with Alex Smith and then, mm-hmm. you know, kind of nothing after that. But it was it wasn't a good team fundamentally, even with Alex Smith. And then last year was just horrible. Uh, I think to your point, Brad, I, I really did like I mean, I, it, it's tough because Sam Sam Darnold gave us the same thing at the end of 2018. Mm-hmm. You know, the last month of the season, he was pretty good uh, and then, you know, regressed a little bit. And then again, was kind of decent down the stretch last year despite all the things against him, um, I, I, I do like Haskins. I mean, I, I don't think that the Giants should have a higher win total than the Washington team. The Washington team. I mean, in terms of, like, win total, it'll it'll be close because I do like the, uh, the Washington front seven a lot, particularly their defensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of going back to the secondary versus D-line conversation, like, there's they still have a lot of work to do there. Yeah. Like, their best corner is... I guess Darby, Kendall Fuller, so, maybe. Yeah, maybe. You know, which if your best guy is your nickel, you're yeah. you're probably <laughs> that's in sort trouble. of where Kansas City was two years ago with him too. It's like you're decent in between the hash marks, but everybody you know with Landon Collins is okay, and then you know you kind of you can get beat on the but, outside. You know, the, the Giants easy. have issues at corner too, like because I guess DeAndre Baker's done. Like you know, they're he's on the NFI now, so. I, I not a good off season for him. No, so like both of their defenses, secondary wise, are in huge trouble. I think Jones had. If everybody stays healthy, Jones probably has better weapons overall. 
Um, and his offensive line, too. I love the Andrew Thomas pick. Um, you know, it remains to be seen what's going to happen with Parrott. But it, honestly, as long as Solder's not starting, I'm okay with it. Well, Solder <laughs> just opt out, opted out today. So. Oh, okay. Well, that's addition by subtraction. So <laughs> I, I think it's, it's tough to say who has the better supporting cast around them. Uh, I, I don't think either team's going to be very good. I think in the divisional game against both Dallas and the Eagles, both of these teams are going to get absolutely whacked. Um, will they be as bad as they were last year? Probably not. I mean, it's hard to be worse, but I don't expect them to be good. Yeah, that yeah makes I, sense. Think, I think I think we're with you on that. All right. I, this is something that I, am, uh, I want to kind of close out with in our main topics, because the first um, video that I watched of yours was sent to me by a, a very good friend of mine. And he says, hey, you got to check out this 49ers run game video. I'm a Niners fan. Um, and uh, it's um, it, it's not safe for work, so it's a great time to watch it uh, if you're a Niners fan or any fan of football at home during the quarantine. That's the time you want to watch this video. It was fascinating. It was awesome. The 49ers run game last year, I think there were kind of two big offensive you know, conversations. The Ravens with Lamar Jackson, that's a, I had this generational talent at quarterback. Okay, great. But then the 49ers run game, how diverse it was, was a topic of conversation. What is, looking to this year, do you think something that will be a topic of conversation that we haven't maybe touched on yet as a, as a fan base, but that in studying things and looking at you know different concepts that you find really interesting might have a coming out party in 2020? Specifically with the 49ers? It, well, look, if you want to regale me with the 49ers, you can. But I meant more from a league-wide perspective. Is there anything that you're particularly, you know, that might be the 49ers run game of 2020, so to speak? So I am ultra excited about one particular pick that the 49ers made this year. And it's Charlie Warner, who's a sixth-round tight end they took out of Georgia. That dude blocks his ass off. And Kyle took him for that reason. When you look at their receiving talent, you got Brandon Ayuk there, who I liked as a pick as well, but Debo's hurt. And keep in mind, in Kyle's pass install playbook, the first 24 pages of it are route tree. Like It's a lot to learn for a rookie receiver, so I think expecting Ayuk to come in and just replace Debo is not realistic because there's so much to learn. Even Debo didn't really master... Uh, that stuff is a rookie. That's why they got him the ball so much on sweeps and, and you know, end rounds and, and stuff like that. Like, they, they just wanted to get him the ball because they knew in terms of mastering the actual pass game portion of this offense, he was not there. And I expect the same kind of progression for Ayuk, where they're really getting him more the ball on screens and sweeps and that kind of stuff. And then maybe year two, we start to see him be an actual wide receiver for them. But I think they took Charlie Warner because they knew that their wide receiving core is very young. Very inexperienced, and so they really want to lean into that run game. And so I think you're going to see Werner, Kittle, and Juszczyk out there, and they're going to rock 22 personnel a lot, more than we've seen any team do in a very long time. And they are just going to mash people. It's going to be so damn fun. Because, again, Kyle's, Kyle's run games, even out of 22, it's not just lining up and running you know, fullback lead all day. Like it's not blowing you off the ball. It's space and angles and using motions to influence defenses and kind of create uh, a numbers advantage through mind games and angles than just like pure brute force. That's why his run game works is because it's so good at getting guys out of position and being in the wrong gap. And so I think looking at all that stuff they're going to do from 22 personnel and then also having the benefit of having uh, you know, a fullback like Juszczyk where you can run freaking four verts out of that look if you really want to. Um, and you know, having the best tight end in the league in George Kittle who also blocks his ass off and he's an uncoverable receiver. And, and Werner's a better receiver than he's given credit for. Like That's going to be their thing with Brandon Ayuk out there as well. And I cannot wait to watch it because defenses don't know how to stop that. They don't. They don't practice against that. Who practices against twenty-two personnel? Nobody. And it's, well, it's it, gonna. It's gonna be a nightmare. Jordan's gonna have to go from wearing that that pinkish tank top to some like overalls and 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 a, and a, uh, and a flannel shirt. I'm gonna have a hard hat team. and a lunch pail with me <laughs> when I come into the office. But one of the things that you brought up, which I thought was really interesting, is. So if there was ever a year where 
coming out and running 22 personnel and putting trying to get defenders like they did in that Green Bay game in the playoffs. Just every single Green Bay defender was like a gap off, you know, and mm-hmm. like th- their ability to they use motion so well to put, you know, to open up gaps and put defenders in a, at a disadvantage. If there was ever a year where that would really work, this would be the year, right? Because there's no way that teams have prepared. Usually you would expect them to go and, wa- you know, be super prepared for whatever offense was good the year before. But maybe maybe this is just me wish having some wishful thinking. This is uh, this is the year to leverage it. Well, and and the opt out the as our friend uh, Brad, uh, our colleague Brad was saying, the average opt out weight is two hundred seventy five pounds, and it's probably gone up with Nate Soldier today. Like, <laughs> you know, if you if you are going to be physical, this might be the year. I mean, Minnesota nose guard opted out, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the defensive lineman and offensive lineman Eddie Goldman for Chicago, like if. There might be an edge to be had to being a physical team this year as opposed to other seasons. I, the run game is hard, though, right? I mean, it takes a lot of synchronization to run a good run game. Uh, and so that that's sort of the other side of the coin. But if you can pull it off, then being a physical team might might yield benefits that would be different than a normal season. Yeah, I'm still, it's still going to take me a few um few tequilas to get through it um which uh which brings which brings me to the question i have to ask everybody i get mixed results on this one but in in checking out your website i have faith that you'll give me a good answer here which is what is your quarantine drink of choice brett oh that is a you know so i'm a i'm a big whiskey guy which anybody okay. that, that follows my work knows yes. that i'm a big whiskey guy and I'm a big cocktail guy uh and so because bars in Southern California have not been open for a very long time and most restaurants were closed for a, for a while. And even then, it's just it's tough to get uh, to get a night out uh, these days in California. So I've been making a lot of cocktails at home. And there's one that before quarantine, I, I had it. And so I was trying to recreate it. And it's called Smoke It If You Got It. Okay. It's an ounce and a half of rye i use mictors but you can use really any any rye you want okay. uh, a half ounce of lafroy 10 year to give a little smokiness to it about a half ounce maybe you can go down to a quarter ounce if you want to get rid of the sweetness of maple syrup three Ooh. dashes of black walnut bitters and then you stir it over three frozen cubes of coffee it is wow amazing it is wow. so damn good. You get the coffee, you get the walnut, you get the maple, you get the smoke, you get the rye spice. It, it's probably a better winter drink than it is a summer drink. But it, you know, when you're watching film at two a.m., uh, there's there's nothing better, absolutely nothing better. We're we're gonna that we're gonna need to try that out, Eric. We, during, we need uh, to like we need to put. I told you I told you for months that we need to have show notes on pff.com. This is the exact reason why we need show notes on the website because then. All of our loyal listeners can go, and you know, right now they're writing down on a notepad. Like, well, what all, the good thing I'll, is we've I'll got DM Zach you the picture listening. of it right now. There you go. We'll put <laughs> it up in the in the description because that sounds amazing. I've been um, I've been getting really creative. I've been doing uh, reposado on the rocks with some orange slices. <laughs> <laughs> I've been getting very creative here. And uh, my girlfriend likes old fashions, but doesn't like to make them. So I've gotten very good at making old fashions and Bloody Marys, which, um, which you know, I, look, a, a good Bloody Mary is is worth drinking. I just don't do it that often. Those take a lot of effort, though, to make a good one. I know. I know. <laughs> well, the key I found, the Clamato, Clamato really helps. Like, you just that gives it a little bit of spice um, and flavor to it that I think a lot of mixes don't have. Uh, but smoke it if you got it is also it's just such a good name. Um, I had a drink uh, in DC a couple years ago called a Carlos Slim, which okay. is uh, it's um, it's mezcal, it's egg white, uh, it's got like a wine topper, um, and it's it's fantastic. But I was just so taken by the name. I mean, it's stuff that I like to drink anyways. But I was so taken by the name that now I order it everywhere. Uh, and people have no idea what I'm talking about, so I have to whip out the uh, ingredients <laughs> and show it to them. <laughs> I, I just I just DM'd you my my recipe for a, a smoky mezcal pomegranate margarita too, that you and your girl would probably love on a hot day. Uh, well, uh, 
I mean, it's a hot day today, so <laughs> there's no time like the present. Uh, Brett, um, tell us where everyone can find all of your stuff and what's uh, what you've got coming down the pike over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so if you uh, if you go on YouTube, uh, you type in Brett Coleman uh, or maybe the Film Room. There's like ten people that have shows called the Film Room now, so maybe I'll show up, <laughs> maybe I won't. Uh, but if you type in Brett Coleman, uh, you'll see my YouTube channel pop up. Uh, last week I did, or yeah, the, earlier this Monday I dropped an episode on Mitchell Schwartz, who I know is a PFF favorite because he's a monster, mm-hmm. and kind of showing how he's able to eliminate elite pass rushers one-on-one every single week uh and then i'm diving at least attempting to dive into drew lock right now for the next episode i still have no idea what to make of him so here's hoping by friday i figure that one out uh and then i'm, I'm gonna get into a little bit of isaiah simmons after that and kind of um i'm reading a book by uh, coach cody alexander on the history of hybrid defenses and kind of looking at it going forward and i'm kind of looking at how Vance Joseph can use Isaiah Simmons in kind of like a hybrid nickel Sam role and how he's going to change the the Cardinals defense. So there's a lot to get to uh, before hopefully we get a football season. Yeah, no kidding. Let's let's hope for that, yeah. I'll drink to that. Brett, uh, it was a blast, man. I appreciate you coming on. Say hello to California and the West Coast for me. And uh, we'll have to have you on uh, here soon in the future to talk about all of those things, especially uh, especially Isaiah Simmons, because we got to get some Vance Joseph talk uh, in here. He's a great <laughs> dude. Thank you, Brett. Thank you. Big thanks to Brett Coleman for jumping on, uh, for hanging out with us, for giving us some drink recommendations. Uh He's a man after your own heart, it looks like. Holy bucket. He sent me some pictures of these, and uh, what I'm going to tell you is you should go check them out on Instagram um, because they're pretty damn good good looking, and uh, he gives you the whole um, the whole recipe there. So uh, you can go find them, check them out, enjoy them. We'll be back on Monday, uh, both of us in Cincinnati. That'll be fun, and I hope – I think we have a pretty cool guest lined up. So uh, if not, you can blame uh, you can blame me for that. Um, anyways, thanks for hanging out. We'll see you guys on Monday. <laughs>